Wow, Higher Vision Church, it's great to see you today. It's so good to be here uh, with you. And I know um, a lot of everyone's been so welcoming and uh, just loving on us, telling us to make ourselves at home. And honestly, it's kind of hard because I've never been surrounded by so much snow before in my life, but I'll, I'll do my best to make it through. But this is great. You know, our, our church just did the same thing and, and the kids loved it. And it's exciting to see here how you guys are reaching out to your community and impacting the children. And uh, I tell you, children are so important and their lives are so precious. So that's great. Uh, we love your pastors, Pastor uh, uh, Jared and Devet the, the Ming. We love them. We love their children. They were just with us a couple of weeks ago and we had a great time. I'm just so thankful for the friendships that God has placed in my life. And uh, definitely Pastor Jared would be one of my best friendships that I have, and we really appreciate them. And aren't you glad today for the leadership team here at this church that God has given you? Come on, let's just thank the Lord today. Yeah. You belong to a great church. If I lived here, I'd come to this church. And I tell you, um, you belong to a great church. And this is it's just so exciting to see what God has done. I'm here today for the first time with my entire family. I've brought my daughter before, but this time I got my two sons with me. And we're all here. We're taking a couple of days of uh, vacation. And so it's a, I call it a, a preacher's vacation. You do something on Sunday, but you take off in between. And so that's what we're doing here. And uh, it's great to be here. My wife and I, uh, in fact, this Friday, we're going to be celebrating our 16th anniversary of marriage. Yeah. Thank you. I can honestly say it's been the best 16 years of my wife Shinobu's life. And so... Uh, <laughs> But uh, we, we've been married for 16 years now, and, and it's just been great. We're both uh, pastor's kids, and I think we connect in so many levels. People do ask us all the time, how did, how did you stay married for so long? Now, I know there's some of you here that are married a lot longer than that, but there are people that ask, you know, how did you guys do it, you know, now for 16 years? And I tell everyone, it, it all actually started on our honeymoon. 16 years ago, it was on our honeymoon, and on our honeymoon in the Grand Canyon, we were going on a tour down to the Grand Canyon on these mules, and we had the ranger uh, with us, and, and it can get kind of dangerous. And I remember we were on that, going down with the mules, and while we were going down, my wife's mule stumbled once, and I heard her say, that's one. I didn't really get it, but I didn't pay much attention to it. We went a little farther, her, her mule stumbled again. She said, that's two. When we got to the bottom of the trail, her mule stumbled for the third time. She didn't say anything. She got up, went to the ranger, took his pistol, and she shot that mule right in the head. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'd never seen that side of her. I said, honey, what are you doing? That's just an innocent animal. She looked at me and she said, that's one. <laughs> and we've been happily married ever since. I'm just joking. They weren't mules. They were horses. Okay, but uh, we've been married ever since. Marriage has taught me so much about love and as I'm sure has taught you so much about how to love. And, you know, it's interesting. We live in a world today in our country where people will say, if you don't agree with my life, if you don't agree with the way I live, then you don't love me. You hate me. And I've, I've come to the discovery that you can vehemently disagree with someone and still love them. It's called marriage. <laughs> and uh, 
I tell you, what the world needs to see today is really the love of Jesus. I mean, we may not always agree with the way people live. It doesn't matter. That's unconditional love. The world wants to put conditions on it and says, when you agree with me, then you love me. They don't understand the love that God has for us, and that's the love that we get to show. Do you realize that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us on the cross? He loved you just the way that you were. And that's what we're supposed to show to the, to the world today. And, you know, when you think about God's love, I think about what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 29. He said, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. You look in Luke 12, 6, and he said, what is the price of five sparrows, two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them, and the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. What, what was the difference there? With those two verses, it was simply this. He goes, you can get two sparrows for a penny, or you can get five for two pennies. So basically what they're saying, if you buy four, you get one free. That's the first blue light special ever, right? <laughs> buy four, get one free. Now, if you were giving away a free sparrow, you wouldn't give away your best one. I mean, you would give away probably the one that you think, you know, no one's going to buy this one. Let me just throw it in there so, so they buy it. You, you'd give away the one that wasn't your favorite one. And this is what Jesus was saying. He said, look, even the sparrow that no one cares about, even the one that would be given away for free, the one that people would see as worthless, God still cares about that sparrow. And, you know, today I want you to know that God cares about you. You might feel worthless. You might feel like life has just run you down. You might feel like you don't have anything to offer to God. But I want you to know that he loves you today, that you're special to him just the way that you are. You are not worthless, but you are of worth. Jesus died for you. And you see, over the next few moments, I want to talk to you about having faith. But I've come to the realization that in order for us to really operate and I believe to walk in faith, we have got to first believe that God loves us. We got to believe that God wants to do something in our life. It's easy to look around and to see this great church and to say, well, you know, God likes Pastor Jared. Pastor Jared has great faith, you know. Pastor Wayman has great faith. You know, God's doing, you know, great things. I come to this church because I know God likes my pastor. But we can think that way about people, but actually think, but God doesn't really think much about me. I don't know if God can do in my life, you know. God, that's, that's for them, but... For me, you know, I'm just going to struggle through and, and just hope that God gives me something. Can I tell you that God loves you just as much as he loves everyone else? And he wants to do in your life just like the same thing that he does in everyone else's life. He's not thinking, well, I like them better and them better. Oh, I don't like this person. I'm going to make them. No, that's not what God's doing. He wants to do something amazing in your life. It's not just the pastors. It's not just mom or dad. It's not just the people or your friends in life. You matter to God, and he cares for you. He loves you, especially with social media. You can be discouraged at times. I've had to stop following some people. Because you look at their life, you're like, man, you just see all these awesome pictures and, and all these things people are doing. And you're like, oh, man, my life sucks. You get depressed. I heard Pastor Stephen Furtick say, it's because we compare our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. And you know, today, you, you got to realize everyone else has to struggle and, and everyone else is going through things just like you are. Don't give up. Don't think that God has forgotten you. There's a guy in the Bible and his name was Timothy. And Timothy was someone who worked with the Apostle Paul. 
And Timothy was not what you would consider maybe when you would say the hero of faith in that sense of he was someone we know when we read about him, he was timid. We know that he probably had some, some physical ailments in life and he needed a lot of encouragement, but yet Paul looked at him as a son in the faith. And in 2 Timothy 1.5, they'll have the verse up there. It says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. This is Paul writing to Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. As Paul was writing to Timothy, you see, what, what was the thing that really stood out to him? What, what is the thing that, that drew him to th- Timothy? And it was right there in that first line as Paul was sitting there in that prison cell. He says, Timothy... I'm reminded of your sincere faith. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. You know, today when, you, when we talk about faith, I want you to realize that faith isn't always going, going to be something spectacular. It can be, but at times it's not always going to be spectacular. Spectacular comes from the word spectacle. It's not always going to be something spectacular. It's not always going to be something that's necessarily sensational or, or so amazing that, that wows everyone, God can meet the need when and however he chooses in your life. If we could get what we want, when we want, when we ask God, you know that it wouldn't necessarily be prayer or faith, it would just be magic. But you see, when we pray to God, we, we're putting our dependence and we're, we're, our hope is on the Lord when we ask God to do something, and God works on his timetable. How many know that God is always on time? My problem is he's never early. But he's always on time. He's on time. And he does things in our life in ways that we could never imagine. Positive thinking alone will never cause miracles. Don't get me wrong. I like positive thinking. I like hanging around people that think positive. But do you know that positive thinking alone isn't going to bring a miracle? I heard somebody say, positive thinking is if you fall off a 10-story building, when you hit the fifth floor, you think, so far, so good. You see, positive thinking alone isn't enough. The power of our faith comes from the Almighty God. Our trust in the Lord and the objective of faith is getting what God wants for us in our life. And I'm sure there are some of you here, I know there are some of you here that you're facing a scary situation right now. A situation you don't know what's around the corner. It might be in your health, in your marriage, in your family. And I want to encourage you today, put your faith in God. Let him be that rock. Let Let him be the foundation that you stand on. Hebrews 11 tells us this. It says that faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Our faith today is what we hang on to when we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You know, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he mentioned Timothy's grandmother and he mentioned Timothy's mother. We know that those were two awesome women. They, it, it, they're in the Bible because of their faith. And he goes, man, your faith, Timothy, reminds me. Reminds me of your grandma and your mom. You know, when I think about that today, it reminds me. When I think about faith, it reminds me actually of my, my uh, wife's grandmother. My wife's grandmother grew up 
not knowing who her parents were. They don't even really know. They think maybe there was an affair or something. She was born. She was unwanted. She was given to the Buddhist temple. A family took her in and began to raise her uh, as, a, as a young child. When she was around eight years old, an American missionary went to Japan. And that American missionary preached the gospel. And that young girl at eight years old, for the first time, heard about Jesus. She gave her life to the Lord. And she got that Bible. She began to read her Bible every day. Well, you know, the family that was raising her wasn't happy with that. And they gave her an ultimatum. They say, you, you either give up your Bible, you give this stuff up, or we're going to basically sell you into human slavery. Back then, Japan was a third world country and there was child labor and, and horrible things that happened to kids. They said, we're going we're gonna to put you into that if you don't give up on Jesus and the Bible. And so she left the home and here she is nine years old. Could you imagine that? And here she's on the street and she's crying. And across the street, all of a sudden, she sees this man. It wasn't a Japanese man. She said this man was Jesus. And this man looked at her and just told her, it's going to be okay. And she went back home and she gave that Bible and they burned it. They burned everything that had to do with Jesus. But do you know that even though they burned those things, it never burned her faith for God? And she hung on to serving the Lord. And I think about that, the incredible faith that it took for a nine-year-old girl when everyone else was around her. She didn't have a great church like this to go to, to be encouraged. There, there weren't churches there in Japan. There are hardly even churches there now. And she had to hang on to her faith. But do you know that she served God until her last breath at the ripe old age of 92 years old? I think of that incredible faith that that woman had. That's amazing in the face of opposition. She went on to have a son who actually pastored, and that was my father-in-law for over 40 years. He just retired this year. I think about my father-in-law's faith. At a time back in the 70s when he was a young pastor, not knowing, you know, much of how to do church, the missionary had left, and there was a point in his life when he said, I, I, I'm not going to do this anymore. He, he wanted to quit, and he said, God... I'm going to quit unless I get a handwritten letter from the missionary who started this church. Do you know, at that time, that missionary would never send anything handwritten. He would write a letter, his wife would type the letter, and he would sign it. He, that's how he sent every letter to my father-in-law. He said, God, I'm going to quit unless I get a handwritten letter. Do you know that the next morning in the mail, a handwritten letter showed up from that missionary? And it said, I don't know why I'm writing you this letter. God told me to write this, Jack. That was it. <laughs> do, you know, do you know the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us in Matthew 6, 8, he knows what you need before you even ask. You think about that letter had to have been written a couple weeks before to get to Tokyo from Texas in time. God knows what you need. You know, that's all it took to keep him going for over 40 years. I think about that great faith. I think about my dad pastoring. My dad pastored 
uh, started his church in 1987, started with nothing. He didn't have a backing church. He, in fact, the church that we, we uh, left, uh, plant, the pastor went up and said, you know, he's starting a church and I don't want anyone from here leaving, going to his church. That's how we started. And, and it was just us. And we started with nothing. We rented, we set up, we broke down, we did all of that. And I, I still think about my dad when, when he's had that, that call from God that we're going to build something. And he went out and he saw the piece of property that he wanted. Another church was looking at it. My dad stepped back and said, you know what? I'm not going to get into a bidding war with the church. He let that church have a shot at it. Well, it didn't work out. And a year later, my dad went back to that property and he walked through that property. He did what the children of Israel did. He walked around it. And, and he walked. He got all scratched up in the bushes and everything. He walked around that property. And Sunday morning, he came and he brought a branch it had guayvi. They're kind of like small guavas. And it was guayvi. He put that on the pulpit. He ate the fruit from it. He said, this is the fruit from the land. It's good. This is the land that we're going we're gonna to buy. And you know, that little church, we had about 40 people there in the church. And man, they, they gave. And they were able to buy that, that piece of property, that acre. And, and brick by brick, they built that church. I mean, it was by cash. They built that church. Literally blood, sweat, and tears went into that place. They built the church. And I look at what the, what the church is now, over uh, six acres that they have there, three buildings. Pastor Jerry just came and spoke at their building. They just moved in into October, 22,000 square feet. It is the biggest building on that side of the island out there. It really is a testimony to the faith and the favor that God has on that church. And I tell you, that's great faith. When I think about the faith of my father and what he's done. And it's just amazing to see his faithfulness. But you know, when I think about myself, I wouldn't necessarily say I have great faith. Great faith like my wife's grandmother, father, or even that consistent faith like my father has. I oftentimes would think, you know, what, what is my testimony? I grew up in church. You know, I, I've been to youth camps. I'd hate testimony time. You ever been to youth camp, there's testimony time, and they want, hey, you got to share something. No, I don't. <laughs> because I know what's going to happen. The guy's going to come up and talk about how he did drugs and how he robbed a bank and he beat everybody up and he fathered six kids, but Jesus turned his life around and everyone's crying and like, oh, that's awesome. And then you get up, you're like, I didn't clean my room the other day. Mom told me to do the dishes. I gave her stink eye. She said, I'll tell your father, so I did the dishes. It's my testimony. Nobody cares about that testimony. Honestly, I always felt like I just didn't have, I'm not saying I was perfect, okay? But I, I just felt like I just never really had like that big testimony and I've seen God work in other people's lives, but honestly, I just always felt like, you know, God, I didn't... I didn't really see anything in my life. I know you're real. I, I know you can do, do things, but, you know, I, I just never really felt that way. But can I tell you, even though I've never really thought of myself of having great faith, I've still seen God move in my life. You know, most recently was last year. You know, pastor in our church, we, first thing we did, we moved our church. We were in a small, tiny little location. We moved to a bigger place. It was actually in our shopping mall. It was a great location being in the mall. We had Starbucks right outside of our back door. IHOP was right outside of the front door. 
Macy's was right next door to us. I mean, it was great. People loved coming to our church. I just tell them, make sure you tithe before you go out into the mall. But uh, it was a great location. Everyone, we're in a small town. Everyone comes to the mall. You just say, where's your church? We're in the mall. It's, it's great. We had parking. I mean, parking galore on a Sunday morning. You, you're never going to run out of parking. It was a great place to be. But I always knew that one day we'd have to move because you can't buy a place in the mall. You can't stay there. And if a store ever wanted to come in, they had told us, we're going to give them your space because we, we had a big space. And so we were there for about five years and I realized we got to start building. We bought property. We had just started getting ready to get our plans and all of those things done when I got the call. How many ever got the call? It wasn't the same reason I got the call, but you got the call. Whatever the call was, it ruined your day. I got the call. In fact, I, I believe I was in California when I got the call. We're supposed to be taking a couple days off. I got the call, and the call was, hey, Pier 1 is coming in, and we're about to sign contracts, and you guys are probably going to have to move out soon. Remember my first thought, Pier 1? People in Hawaii don't care about Pier 1. It's too expensive for us. Why is Pier 1 coming? I just thought, well, I'm not going to worry about it. You know, just we'll have time to figure this out. Well, I get back home. I get that call again. And they say, look, they signed. You got to be out in two months. Two months. Wow. That's a, that's a short amount of time to find a place. You got to realize in our town, it's a small town. It's not like... We have empty buildings sitting all over the place. To fit a church of our size, it's, it's going to take some work to find, to find a place that we can fit everyone. And so we kind of stressed out, looked around, couldn't really find the right place. And finally, we realized, hey, you know what we're going to do? Instead of looking for a permanent place, we're just going to set up and break down. We're going to move into the movie theaters. So we called Regal Cinemas. I remember talking to the guy at Regal. This is what he said, his exact words, Regal loves churches. He said it just like that. <laughs> You're just like, yes. You know, well, we love having churches. It's a win-win for us. I don't see any problem. He goes, and this is what he said. He goes, when do you want, you want, to, you want to get in next week? I mean, you want to start next? I'm like, man, this guy is awesome. You want to get there two weeks? I get the paperwork done. I'm like, wow, well, we got some time. And I gave him the date. He goes, well, I'll tell you what, I'll get all the paperwork done. We'll sign. I can't see any problem with this. I'm, I'm like pumped. I'm like, this is awesome. I go to the church. I'm like, this is what we're going to do. You're, I'm trying to sell this thing, right? Because now we're going to have to set up and break down. So I'm, we're going to be a stronger church. People are going to get involved. Man, we're going to be in the theater. We're going to have some nice chairs. You're going to have cup holders, a big screen, you know, and everyone's clapping and it's all exciting. And, and I'm like, yeah, this is good. So we're going to order, I order the stuff to set up and break down. Well, you know, a couple of weeks go by. I still didn't get the contract. And I'm wondering, what, what's going on? So I, I emailed him. He goes, oh, I, I'm working on it. I, I got two approvals. I need one more, just one more. I'll let you know. So a couple days go by. I get the email back from him. I say, finally, finally. I open the email, and it starts with these words, I am so sorry. Not as sorry as I was, but he was so sorry. <laughs> and he went on to explain that all of the theaters that Regal rents out, you know, they're Regal owns them, but the one in Hilo has a private owner, and they needed his approval for the church to rent it out, and the guy said no. So he goes, there's really nothing I can do. It felt like my heart sunk into my stomach. You ever experienced that? 
It just feels like all the hair just falls off your legs. I mean, you just feel like everything. <laughs> and I'm sitting at my desk. And I just, what are we going to do? Because this, there was no plan B. This was it. I thought this was God. I mean, I thought this was, I told the church, this is where we're going. Uh, you know, and, and he ended it by saying, he goes, look, maybe you can ask the owner if you can move in, but I can't give you his phone number. Good luck. I mean, that's how it ended. <laughs> Thanks a lot. And, you know, I sat there and literally, literally, I felt defeated. Literally, I felt like I wanted to quit. I wanted to call Pastor Jared and see if there's a janitor job here. I mean, I'm moving. I'll do anything. I, tell, I heard someone say this once, it's okay if you want to quit as long as you don't quit. I want to quit all the time, but I just don't quit. But I wanted to quit at that moment. I felt utterly defeated. And I remember sitting there, not knowing what to do. And I probably prayed one of the greatest prayers of my life. Let me tell you how it went. I lifted, I, I remember, I'm not exaggerating. Sometimes preachers embellish things. This, there's no embellishment. In fact, if I showed you how I really was, it would be embarrassing. I was sitting on the chair. No one else was home. I lifted up my hands like this. And my eyes were filling up with tears. Okay? Yeah, I, I was being a wuss. And, I, <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I said, God, this isn't my church. This is your church. This is not my problem. Honest to God. This is your problem. So you deal with it. Tears running down. Yeah, man of faith. Press play on my computer. Cornerstone. You know, Christ alone. Cornerstone. I'm listening to that song. Tears rolling down my face. <laughs> and I'm sitting there. And that was my prayer. I may not have that great faith. I may not have that consistent faith, but do you know I realize this? I heard somebody share this message, and I realize I have sincere faith. And you know what moved Paul about Timothy was not that Timothy was some great preacher or orator. He said, Timothy, it's your sincere faith. And can I tell you today, what moves God is not the volume of our prayer or how many people we pray in front of. It's the sincerity of our heart. And that afternoon I sat there and I just poured my heart out before God. And I just, in my humanity, God, I can't do it. God, I don't know what to do. But Lord, I believe you can do something. And you know, today, I don't know what you're facing in life. I don't know what mountains or valleys there might be. But I want you to know that God loves you. He cares for you. And you may not feel like you're a great man, woman, boy, or girl of faith. That's okay. If you can come to God with a sincere heart today, I believe with all my heart, God can move on your behalf. For the sake of time... Can I just say that 25 minutes after praying that prayer at my desk, I got a call from the owner of the theater. And he said, I'm not going to rent you out the theater in the mall. He goes, I have the other theater across town that I never even thought that he would 
want to rent? He goes, I'll close that theater down. I'll let you move into that theater. I will subsidize your rent for the rest of my lease. Uh, I'll pay half of the rent for you. I will cover that. You guys can have church and you can use it all the time. 25 minutes later. And I'll tell you what, it wasn't me, it was God. It was just a sincere heart that said, God, I need help. And you know, today in your life, you can cry out to the Lord and he's going to hear you. I love the story in Mark 9, 21. In fact, the worship team can begin to come up. And when that father brought his son who needed prayer to Jesus, that son was being tormented. Jesus said, how long has this been happening? He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. I love what Jesus says. What do you mean if I can? Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus can. That's pidgin English, by the way. That's how we talk in Hawaii. Jesus can. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father cries out. I love this. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Can I be honest with you today? That's the story of my life. Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus, I believe we're going to build this building and touch our town. Oh, but help my unbelief. Jesus, I believe you can do this, but help my unbelief. You say, what is that? That's just us being human. We're not supermen or superwomen. We need Jesus in our life. And I love what he said, Jesus, help my unbelief. Today, you can cry out to Jesus to help you wherever you are in life. King James calls it that unfeigned faith or that unfaked faith. I'm tired of people that will fake their faith. I'm on top and rising. How's, how's everything going? Oh, everything's good. You blessed? Oh, I'm blessed. I, I'm blessed, man, going in. I'm blessed coming out. I'm blessed everywhere. You go home and your life is just a mess. What are you doing? You're just fronting. We need people that are going to get real and honest and say, I'm struggling just like everyone else. I'm believing every day for a miracle just like everyone else. I need Jesus in my life just like everyone else. We need people that are not into the showmanship of it, but people that are just real. People that are real and need miracles. It's that sincere faith that moves the Lord. I want to close with this verse, Hebrews eleven six, And it is impossible to please God without faith. You know, this morning, if you know who Jesus is in your life, if you've given your life to the Lord, you got all the faith you need. We're saved by faith. Jesus has given us a measure of faith. Every single one of you. We got all that we need. I think the difference is how far do we want to begin to stretch that faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Can I tell you this morning, we got to believe that God wants to reward us. He wants to reward you. He wants to answer your prayer to those who will sincerely seek him. Not those that put on a front, not those who put on a face, but those who will seek God in all honesty, in their brokenness, 
when they're down and out, can I tell you, God wants to do something in your life. I've learned and I'm still learning how to just be sincere in my faith. It breaks my heart to think how many people would think their heavenly father wouldn't want to answer their prayer. I wonder how that must touch the father's heart when he looks down and he says, my children think that I, that I don't like them. I don't love them. Today he loves you. He knows where you are in your storm and in your problem. He knows where you are today. Don't try to be fake. Don't, don't try to be something you're not. Just be open. Sometimes the best prayer you can pray is just saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. When you don't even have the words to say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He sees your heart. Won't you bow your hearts with me today?